I don't know about you, but I'm the guy that likes a good success story. I like a good success story. I like an underdog story. That may be why I'm so drawn to the probably the best piece of cinematic work ever, known as Rocky 1, 2, 3, and 4, minus 5 and 6 and however many they've made since then, because it's the true underdog story. But it's a success story, and I like that. It comes from basically the guttermost all the way to the uttermost. But there's lots of success stories that come in different shapes and forms. And one of today's modern marvels, that is a true success story, because it's a feat that's never been accomplished, is the building of the Burj Khalifa. If you've never heard of the Burj Khalifa, it's the tallest standing building in the world by hundreds and hundreds of feet. And this is in Dubai. The reason this is a success story is because they had to get together 380 different engineers, 380 different engineers, not to mention the architects to problem solve, to troubleshoot and find out what's the best way to get this thing as high as they need to get it. And the higher they would build this, the better or the stronger the foundation would have to be. So they wouldn't have to be, they wouldn't just be thinking above the ground, but they're also thinking below the ground because you can't build something so high without first going below the depths in order to create a strong foundation. And so this is a success story. Construction of the Burj Khalifa began in 2004 and it was completed, open for business, 160 floors. To give you a bit of a perspective, the Empire State Building, which is obviously tall, is 102 floors, right? So 160 floors where people actually occupy rooms, not to mention all that's above that, standing at 2,617 feet above the ground, making it the tallest building in the world. So it is truly a success story. They succeeded in not only building the tallest building in the world, but building the tallest freestanding structure in the world. This is taller than the Eiffel Tower of Paris. This is the tallest structure in the known world. The highest occupied floor in the world of 160 floors compared to the Empire State Building at 102. The highest outdoor observation deck. Now, I don't know who in their right mind wants to be at 160 feet, 160 floors or so, observing from outside, but they have that capability here at the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. In studying this, and I've researched this before just because I was curious about how they built this building. Not that I'm by any way an aspiring engineer or an architect, but it is fascinating that they could do something like this. It really is ultimately a test of the, of the, the, the attribute of creativity that God has shared with man. You know, some would say, well, it's, a, it's, really, it, it's really something that we can point to the development and the prowess of human ingenuity, but ultimately it's, it's God. It's God has shared his attribute of creativity, and so man has created this, this icon. But in order to build up, you must first build down. So let me give you some facts about the foundation of the Burj Khalifa, because obviously if you're going to build something 2,617 feet above the ground or above grade, then you have to build down first. They used 58,900 cubic yards of concrete. Now, that might not compute. That might not process with you. It didn't with me, so I had to do some research and find out just how much is that, okay? But this is not, not 58,900 pounds of concrete. This is 
58,900 cubic yards. This is just for the foundation. This isn't anything else but the foundation, that which is on the surface and below, which, by the way, that went, uh, that went uh, well, I'll, I'll share that with you, 164 feet deep, okay? So, so by the way, so 58,900 cubic yards of concrete, that's 11,896,268.6 gallons of concrete that was used just, just on what you see as, as the concrete right there. I don't think that includes the piles or what they call them, the piles that go down beneath that concrete, uh, that concrete you know, slab. So if you want me to break that down just a little bit more, 11,896,268.6 gallons of concrete, that equals 2,000, I'm sorry, 2,379,253 five-gallon buckets. So if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and you see the tall blue, the, the blue buckets or the orange buckets, grab 2,379,253 of those, fill them to the brim with, con- with concrete. That's how much it took to pour the foundation for the Burj Khalifa. Not only is it 2,716 feet above the ground, but it also has 2,909 steps. Talk about a workout. 160 floors, 380 engineers working to design the structure, and 164 feet deep. Now, just to give you some perspective, go past the 50-yard line of a football field, four feet, cut it, and then stand it, stand it on its head. That's how, deep this, that's how deep this foundation structure is. But you have to go deep before you can go tall. You have to have a foundation before you can build a structure So for me, the thesis today that I want to kind of project to you or that I see in this text is building for success that matters. And here's my objective. I want us to identify and I want us to understand the primary means of building our lives for success that matters. Because let's be real, nobody sitting here aspires towards mediocrity. If you do, you can exempt yourself from this conversation right now, but I would say that most of us sitting here are like, you know what, I wanna be a success. You might be lazy and you might not be willing to do what it takes to be successful, but if you're honest with yourself, you want to be a success. Nobody walks out and says, you know what, I think I'm gonna to aspire toward mediocrity. I want at the end of my life on my epitaph, I want it to read or the epitaph to read, I made it. A lethargic pile of flesh that contributed to nothing. A worthless member of society. That's what I'm going for, right? That's what I'm going for. And it's easy to get that. Boy, I could spend some time on Netflix and Amazon Prime and my PlayStation and get there today, right? I've probably been there if I'm honest with you. But we have to build for success that matters. Everybody wants to be successful. But here's the question. Under which, different, uh, under which definition of success do you work? Which definition of success do you labor and do you operate? Because you can take the world's definition of success, which the world has sold you a bill of goods, by the way. They've sold you a bill of goods at a very, very high price because the world has determined for them and for you what success is. So we have this worldview based on a worldly definition of success and we think, well, it means I have to achieve this in my career. I have to achieve this as a mother. I have to achieve, achieve this as a father in terms of some kind of secular view of the world. I have to become better. I have to become a better member of society. And this is the definition the world has given. And do we look at that and think, well, that's horrible? No. Is it wrong to want to advance in your career? No, not at all. 
But can you take your career and your accolades with you to heaven and stand before God and say, this is my foundation. This is what I have to show you to let me in. No, he's got to care. It doesn't impress him. He cares what you do, but that's not the standard. That's not the litmus test of true success. There's a price of owning the world's definition of success. And that means that we sacrifice the things that truly matters on the altar of emptiness, on the altar of things that will not give us a return, things that will not have a dividend that's worthy of Jesus. So how do you prepare for success that matters? I mean, this is, this is what Jesus is concluding with. And by the way, it's really, it's really neat because I'm not gonna have time to really unpack that, but it stands for itself. At the very end, it's, it's great. When Jesus finished these sayings, it says that the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They're used to hearing a certain style of teaching. They're used to hearing a certain level of authority and then Jesus arrives on the scene. Can you, I mean, that, it's not just what he's saying, but it's the way he's saying it. It's not just the message, but it's the messenger. Jesus is speaking in a way that they have never heard. This is blowing the people's minds because this man speaks with an authority that we have not yet seen. And he is compelling to these people. And just before it shows us that Jesus had this authority and that people were listening to him and he was speaking in such a way that they had not seen in the scribes, just before we get to that point, Jesus summarizes the Sermon on the Mount by saying, all these things that I've taught you, everything, everything I've said thus far, you need to not only hear it, but you need to do it. And he says, and that is the magic equation to prepare yourself for success that matters because the person who hears and does is the person that is like the wise man that built his house on the rock because Jesus addresses two type of builders here. The wise man that built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand. So what does Jesus say about their foundation? Jesus says, every man who hears these words and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they didn't affect the house. They beat on the house, but it did not fall because why? It had been built on the rock. It was founded on the rock. The foundation was the rock. It was on something that was immovable. And then it says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, Jesus addresses the second builder, everyone who does not do them, like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. It's foolish to not consider your foundation when you're building. As a builder on a project with Austin right now, just a few days ago, uh, we had a, a guy come in with a big backhoe and he had to dig a footer. Now, a lot of times it's us or me, I should say, digging these footers, right? And there's a code, there's labor involved, there's a code, you have to have it so many inches. Okay, so if I'm building an addition to a house, it's about 12 inches. If I'm building the Burj Khalifa, it's about 160 feet. So, so there's a code there. There's a set of criterion that we have to meet in order to pass what? The inspection. And at the end of all things, we want to pass the inspection as those who labor to build our lives on the foundation that is Christ. Because a foundation or, or a house that is built that is on any other foundation, be it our own or anyone else's, then we will not pass that inspection. And Jesus has something and has said something about those type of people. So two types of builders, the wise and the foolish. And at the end of all things, when the elements come, when the winds and the rains 
And the floods come metaphorically on the unwise person or the foolish person. What happens? It says the fall will be great. It won't just be a fall, but it will be a great fall. So let's walk through this right here and let's talk about foundations and setting ourselves up for success. Success that matters is achieved in this way. Okay, you trekking with me? Success that matters is achieved exclusively. Exclusively. This is not a self-help sermon. This isn't 21 ways to finding the best you. This isn't, you know, 50 ways to ensure that you're gonna have a strong foundation. This is one way. Here it is. Success that matters is achieved exclusively through the proper construction of our spiritual lives. And I intentionally chose the word spiritual life because the physical is temporal. And I don't wanna confuse the issue and have people running out here saying, well, I need to build myself up physically You know, I need to be healthy, both of mind, soul, and of body. And there's something to be said about that, but let me share with you what Paul wrote to Timothy about those very things. He said, for a while, bodily training is of some value. Some value, right? There are some of you in here, I would say the greater majority of us in here are pretty worthless when it comes to the exercise right, right? But there's some of you who shall remain nameless who are really given to it, and that's fantastic, right? But while the body... While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, in every way. So this is good news. This is good news to us men folk who, you know, are chiseledly challenged, right? Who are a little bit soft in the midsection, right? This is good news for us because those things don't matter at the end of the day. They're of little value. But what's of great value is the development of us spiritually. It's the building of this house, this life on a foundation that will ensure us for a success that matters. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. Hey, don't worry about all these things. Don't worry so much about your body physically and the physical development of that body. Don't worry so much about this. I get to talk to students tonight about this very thing, and I'm very excited about challenging some of these young boys who probably want to be God's gift to the beach as far as the physique, you know, and just saying, hey, those things don't matter, you know. So maybe there's some young men or ladies in the group that, that may not have time to exercise. You know, maybe that's not into their thing, and I'm going to say, guess what? That's great because it doesn't matter. Because where the world places a high premium on bodily training, God does not. God places a high premium on building this house on a foundation that will set us up for success. So what is the proper construction? In the physical world of construction, there are codes to follow. There are necessary criterions one must meet in order to ensure the structural integrity of a building or project. Jesus lays that criterion out right here. He makes it so simple. He says, he says, look, everyone who hears and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. All the elements came. It suffered everything that was thrown at him. And he did not fall because his house was built on the rock. His house was built on a firm foundation. So Jesus lays out the criteria and those who hear and apply his teachings, because hearing's not just enough, right? You can't just hear it. And that's a, that's a problem, I think, in our church circles is, is we just hear it and we're good. There's not enough doing. And James addresses that very thing. He talks about a person who stands in front of a mirror. The person who hears and not does is someone who stands in the mirror, looks at himself or looks at herself and then walks away and does what? Forgets what he or she saw. 
The hearer does the same thing. The hearer is exposed to the gospel, is exposed to these foundational truths, these divine truths, and then it's in one ear and out the other. We leave this place and we're back to business as usual without letting the word of God, these divine truths, really marinate within our soul and then we apply them in everything we do. We tend to forget them. We tend to forget these things because we're in a mode of accessorizing the truth of scripture rather than making sure that it is embedded in the recesses of our soul so that when the elements attack us as those who are brick by brick laboring to build our house on a foundation, we will not be shaken, we will not be disturbed. Simply hearing is not enough. So if I know the codes for digging a footer, laying a foundation and building a house but I refuse to apply those codes, or I refuse to adhere to or execute those codes, I will fail inspection and worse, my house will fail. There's a, there's a family in my neighborhood right now. As the HOA president, I have the esteemed privilege of talking to a lot of families when they're disgruntled. <laughs> and so there was one family that was basically suffering from another neighbor, imagine that, right? And so I'm meeting with them and we're talking and... Um, they talked about how they ended up in our neighborhood. Now, they live in a beautiful house, and I think our neighborhood is great. But they moved from what would be their dream home. And their dream home was built, and they lived there for just a little bit of time, and they started noticing that the house itself started shifting a little bit. And this isn't your house settling. We're not talking about, okay, the house settles, so there might be some cracks, there might be some things that show up in your drywall. That may happen from time to time. The corners that come together of your trim, be it your crown molding or your, shoe, or your, uh, or your baseboard or whatever, you might see it open up just a little bit. That might be from a new house settling, who knows? But this house started moving down the hill. <laughs> I said, moving down the hill? They said, yeah, just the whole thing just started moving. We were here, and then we were here. And so they had three different architects or engineers, structural engineers, yeah, they had three different engineers come and look at it, and they said, no, <laughs> this, is, this, this house is, doesn't have a good foundation. They said, you need to move out of here because this house will, unless something is done about the foundation, the house will collapse. Or it will slide on down the hill into the road and collapse there, right? So... What did they do? They moved out. They moved out into our neighborhood and, you know, and, and, and that was the short story that they shared. And that's, that's the image, right? That's, that's the real life picture of what Jesus is using as a metaphor here. And this metaphor is so very strong. And James echoes exactly what Christ is saying as far as hearing and doing. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man it does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. So there's something to say about the criterion that Jesus uses here to set you up for success that matters. And that's hearing and doing. It's not more theological than that. It's not more complicated than that. It's not something you find in one of, one of the old Puritan writers who somehow managed to dig deep enough to find the right phrasing that really just, there it is. 
I found it, it's complex, it's complicated, it's convoluted, but I get it. And if the Lord grants me enough, uh, uh, you know, uh, a cumin of whatever I need to understand it, then, then maybe I'll get there. No, Jesus says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it easy for you. Here's the silver platter, I'm just gonna lay it out. Here it is, listen and respond. Hear it and do it. When we hear the word of God, when we hear these things, we're being exposed to divine truth. In this context, those gathered around were hearing a deeper, more clarified version of what they had been exposed to with the law of Moses. Jesus, as one with authority that they had never heard, is saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Murder's wrong, but if you're angry with your brother, I, you commit murder. You know, uh, Adultery is wrong, but I say if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed immorality, you've committed adultery. I mean, Jesus is really saying some strong things. He's really shaking things right up here, not just in what he said, but in who he is and the way that he said it and the authority that he has. So they're hearing these things, and he's saying it's not enough that you hear these. It's not enough. So what? So what if you know that Jesus is Lord? If you don't apply his lordship in your life, if lordship is not evident in your life, who cares that you know that he's Lord? I mean, the Bible says one day every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that what? Jesus is Lord. The demons believe and they tremble. They know that he's Lord, but so what? Because it's not applied in their life, because they're not building a house that's on the right foundation. It's not simply knowing that God is sovereign, but actively trusting in his sovereignty. It's one thing to just say, yeah, God is good and he's, he's sovereign. Because we say that a lot. That's just a good token phrase that we say in church world is God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, he's sovereign. Well, when the rubber meets the road, do you live in light of his sovereignty? It's not simply knowing that treasures on earth are going to burn up, but actively storing up treasures in heaven. It's one thing to say, oh, I know these things are gonna burn, but, I, but right now, but right now, I love it, and I've got I've to coddle this thing and caress this thing and, and develop this thing and protect it. You know, it's not enough just to know that these things can be bad. It's not, it's not enough just to know that we have idols and treasures. We have to store up treasures on, in heaven rather than on earth. It's not just knowing that racism is anti-gospel, but actually working towards unity. Oh, racism's bad. Well, that's great. That's great. If you're building your house on the rock, it looks like striving to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, to use the words of Paul to the Ephesians, rather than just acknowledging that, oh, God is a God of peace, and he says, blessed are the peacemakers and all these things. I know those things, but I'm not doing those things. If you're not a doer, but a hearer only, then you are the type of builder that builds on the sand. I am the type of builder that builds on the sand. But this builder, the one that hears and does, the one that hears and applies, this builder has built in such a way that its structural integrity can withstand the elements. When all the things come after him, when all the elements, the winds, the floods, the rains, and all of these things come, it can withstand the scrutiny of that which might come upon it. Just as a builder labors to dig his footers deep enough for a strong foundation, so too those who labor in submitting themselves to divine truths, uh, to the divine truths of Scripture, will have a strong foundation when the elements inevitably come. 
For this build are the elements of persecution, doctrinal opposition, and suffering. Those will not shake him because he's firmly rooted in Christ. So this is what it looks like to build your house on the rock. Actively leaning, pressing into, relying on, not just, not just theoretically, but actively trusting every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why do you think Jesus makes the statement, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God? Is that not the essence of this? Is we are physically, actively, spiritually, in all ways, living on the words of God. Everything, I'm taking it to the bank. I'm living in accordance with it. Here it is. This is, this is Christianity 101. This is simple stuff. This is what it is. Go to the Bible, read it, learn it, meditate on it, and see how can I apply this in my life. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who, who, uh, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do you strive towards that, lean on that, press into that, live in accordance with that? When you're feeling angry or you want to have uh, this, this angry response to a brother or sister, how do, you, how do you, you, you reject that, you turn from that, you deny yourself that and you say, you know what, rather than succumbing to anger, rather than living out my fleshy desire, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose, I'm gonna choose not to act on this emotion. I'm gonna choose to go the other way. I'm gonna pray for this person. I'm gonna choose to love this person. And when you press in in that way, what you're taking is a brick at a time and you're building it on that foundation and it's strong. So, in effect, Jesus is saying, build your house on me. He says, build your house on me because Christ is the rock, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink. This is what Paul is saying. He says, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was who? The rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. This is not the first time that the scriptures speak of Jesus as a rock or a stone. Mark 12, Luke 20, Acts 4, so on and so forth. They all liken Jesus unto a rock. So who is Jesus talking about? Himself. Build your house on me. Because to build your house on his statutes, his teachings, is to build your house on Christ. Numerous occasions Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone. You've heard that before. The cornerstone in a structure is set in such a way that all other stones are placed in reference to that stone. And we start to see the picture come to life now because we're building, Christ is the stone, Christ is the cornerstone, he's the rock, and all of the structure is built in reference to Jesus. So the building of our life is built in reference to who Jesus is as the foundation. That's how Christianity, that's how spiritual maturation, that's how sanctification works and is manifested. But there's a second type of builder, the builder who is foolish because his concern is more with outward appearance than it is with the structural integrity of the project or the build that he has going on. And the elements come, the winds of despair blow in and what will happen is he will become, he will succumb to hopelessness. When the rains of tragedy pour upon him, he will break under the pressure. 
When the floods of secular scrutiny overwhelm him, he will cave because his foundation is built with his own efforts and not on divine truth. This is the builder who is foolish and has built his house on the sand. A house built on the sand cannot withstand the elements. So there are two builders. Which builder are you? Not a difficult text. A difficult text to be confronted with, but not a difficult text to understand. Because if you're like me, you find yourself building on sand and then you find yourself building on a rock and you get so sick of yourself because I have, a, I have a home on the sand and I have a home on the rock and so many times I retreat to the home on the sand. And when the elements come, I, I, I fall under the scrutiny of the elements. You know, when doubts and fears and persecutions and all these things, not that I've, not that I've experienced extreme persecution, but when these elements come, when the rains and the floods and the winds come, I find myself weak If I'm in the house built on the sand, it will not last. But if I'm in a house built on a rock, it will, because a house built on the sand is nothing more than a cosmetic appearance. It can look the exact same as the house is built on the rock. It can look the same. I've been in some beautiful homes. Austin Jowers has been in some beautiful homes on the outside, but you go inside and it's like, what has happened to this place? I was in a house one time and this, the yard was beautiful. It was just well kept. The landscaping was beautiful, second to none. I mean, the house was really remarkable, but we walked in the front door and you look and there's a crack that goes from the floor to the ceiling. And we did some investigation and we found out that the foundation needed work because it was a bad foundation. And so we said to the homeowner, well, he wanted a lot of cosmetic stuff done to his home. We said, well, we really need to take care of these things up under here because it doesn't matter what happens on the surface. If you don't get the foundation taken care of, you're gonna have a major problem. He said, I don't care. He said, I just, I just want the ugly taken care of. <laughs> and I thought of that as I was preparing this sermon. I said, that's exactly what it's like for someone to build their house on the sand. As these elements come and it tosses this house around and it virtually begins to fall over, but they thought, just make it pretty. Just clean it up a little bit. That's what I really want. So which builder are you? I've got these... Uh, two friends that are a part of my life. One's a, a dear friend and the other is more of an acquaintance. I won't say their names because we're recording this. But one friend lost his wife and his daughter. His wife died of breast cancer while, while she was pregnant with his daughter. The daughter was born premature by several months. So the daughter had a lot of health complications. He took care of that daughter for about two years around the clock Sleep deprivation, sickness, everything affected him because he was really trying to take care of this daughter. Strong follower of Jesus, strong man of God. Now he has a son, he has a daughter that's very sick, and he has a wife who is deceased. Well, after two years, he takes a nap. He wakes up one day, his daughter has died because she choked on her. She needed a trach change or something, and she choked to death. And he walked into a daughter that was dead. He took a 30-minute nap, if I recall his story. It's not something I ask him about a lot, right? And so he, 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 lost his, he lost his daughter. And this was a few years ago. And it wasn't long ago we were having a conversation about it. And he likes to bring it up. He likes to talk about it as hard as it is. And this is kind of a man's man. This is a guy that you'd meet and you're like, yeah, you're, you're a man. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if you've seen, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the Infinity War uh, Avengers movie but there's a part where they introduce <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy and you've got Thor played by uh, Chris Hemsworth and he's lying there and uh, Chris Pratt's character comes up, Star-Lord, and he says, that's a dude. And then Drax comes up, Dave Batista's role, and he says, that's not a dude, you're a dude. 
that's a man, <laughs> you know, because he's Thor, right? You know, his muscles are bigger than my, than my, my thighs, right? So, so, so that's, in a weird way, what I think of this guy. He's a, he's a man. He's a man's man, you know? He, 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 he ate grass. He ate food from the woods behind his house when he couldn't afford to take care of his kids. I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, this guy did what he needed to do to take care of his family, and then his daughter dies. And then a conversation we had not too long after, uh, not too long ago, he's boasting He's boasting in the love of God. And he's boasting in the sovereignty of God. And he's boasting in how much you can trust God. And I'm like, you just, you just wept telling me, telling me the story, recalling again the story of God taking your wife and taking your daughter. And, and I mean that in a very theological, not in a judgmental way, God's divine retribution. I don't mean that. I mean, God in his sovereignty, he gives and he takes away. And he, he looks at it that way and he says, God, he gives and he takes away. And I have no other response to that other than to say, you are a man building his house on the rock. Because how can you go through that and say, God is good? How can you go through that and say, Jesus is better? And that's what he says. I have another friend who lost his daughter. And when he lost his daughter, he became very angry with God. And today... He is very vocal about his atheism. Now, I don't think he was a Christian and then he rejected God. I think he never was in Christ. But the point is, here's a man who has built his house on the sand because when the elements came, when death came for his daughter, what did he have to fall back on? What was his foundation? His own understanding. The Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. So for the one builder, he's leaning not on his own understanding, but he's leaning on God, and God is making his path straight. When those elements come, when the persecution, when the scrutiny, when the death, when the sickness, when all of these things mount upon you and they heap upon you, and you rely and you press into that foundation, these divine truths, and you say, this will have to uphold me because my own understanding cannot. This is one builder versus the other. So here's my question. What are the elements that pose a threat to the structural integrity of your spiritual life? Just think about that. Because we all have them. Maybe you sit in the quietness of your room at night and you have doubts and fears. Is God there? Does God hear me? I've got this issue that I'm worried about. I'm, 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 I'm sick or I've got some problem and I'm scared. Doctors don't know what's going on. What's your foundation? You know, you're looking for answers that you can't get. You're calling out to God. What, God, I, I need something. And it, maybe it feels like you're in the dark. Or it feels like God's not speaking to you. Again, maybe it feels like he's not there. Which house are you in? Brick by brick, what are you building on top of? What is your foundation? Success that matters is ultimately contingent on passing the inspection. When we get ready to build something, we dig a footer, inspector comes out and he checks the hole that we dug because it has to meet code requirement. And then the substance called concrete comes in and it's poured in, but not after the labor. First there's labor. I know, I've dug many footers in my five years with solid construction. I'm the digger guy, I'm the, I'm the guy. You know, they don't want me for my brains, they want me for my brawn, right? So, so I'm, I'm digging. 
And I know what it's like to dig these footers. I know about the labor that goes into this. Is it not the same? Jesus is, is, is using such a beautiful metaphor <laughs> as a carpenter, right? We understand that we go out and we dig and we labor in the hot sun. Zach, get ready, brother. So you're gonna be the new digger. So, so you know, we're, you know, and I'll oversee it and I'll, and I'll encourage you because I'm the encourager at Solid. So what I'll do is I'll, we'll dig these ditches. We'll dig these footers and it's labor intensive. It's hard. It's hot. You've got to stop and get water. You feel like you're going to die. It's just rough. But once you've labored enough, the foundation can be poured in. And the same is true in our spiritual life is there's labor, the labor of hearing and doing, the labor of denying yourself that which is your most natural, sinful, fleshly inclination. And you deny that, that's labor, folks. It's easy. It's easy to give in. But we labor together for the gospel. We labor to fight against sin. We labor to deny ourselves our most natural inclinations of the flesh. And the more we labor, the better and the stronger the foundation is that is laid. And that sets you up for success that matters. It's contingent upon passing the inspection. And it's interesting just before Jesus got here, he gave us a window into seeing someone that failed the inspection. Do you remember when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of my Father who is in heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And he says, many will say to me, but we cast out demons in your name and we prophesied in your name and we perform mighty works in your name. But he says to them, I will say to you, away from me, you workers of lawlessness or iniquity. He's talking to the second type of builder. He's looking at that builder and says, you have built your house in the sand. Your labor was in vain because you labor for your glory, you labor according to your own knowledge, and you leaned and pressed into your own understanding instead of mine. And when the divine scrutiny of God, when the divine wrath of God at judgment that's well beyond the persecution, that's well beyond death that we experience, sickness, uh, tragedies, career failures, anything on this earth doesn't hold a candle to the scrutiny of God's judgment. That's the ultimate element that will be unleashed on the person who has built their house on the sand. And if that person faked it all their life because on the outside they look to have a nice put-together home at the end of all things, it will not survive the scrutiny of God's divine judgment. And this is who Jesus tells us about. He says, this, this builder of the house on the sand is the one who will say to me, Lord, Lord, but I will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When the tumultuous winds of God's divine wrath and judgment press against you, if you've built your house on the sand, it will be the end. A house doesn't stand or fall because of its beauty it stands or falls because of its foundation. We are all working towards success. We want to be successful as followers of Christ, first and foremost. And how do we do it? By following the criterion that he has set for us right here, by hearing and doing the word of God. May we all be laborers who build the bricks of our life on a foundation that matters for the glory of God. Let's pray together.